Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. The scripture this morning is from Mark 10, verses 17 through 22. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. So we've been in a message series now for several weeks based on this book. And I know several of you purchased this book. We still have some copies available if you'd like to purchase it. It's called Evangelism Without Additives. And uh, it's my opportunity to, to pipe in on this whole series. And so I thought I'd start by telling one of my own evangelism stories. Is that okay? So this is uh, just a few years ago. I was in college. So many several years ago, I was in college and I was went, I was going to a short uh, one year Bible school program. I was out of the coast in Cannon Beach, Oregon. Okay, uh, beautiful location. Some gr- I met some great friends there, and the way the school worked is we had um, two guest speakers who would come in every week, and they would teach a morning and an evening class, both of them. So we had two classes in the morning, two classes in the evening. So we had afternoons either to do work-study stuff or whatever, and the weekends. And so Seaside, which is just north of Cannon Beach, is a big uh, coastal town that people from Portland, Oregon, like to drive out to. So on the weekends, it was a madhouse. And they had one, one particular drive or stretch there where people, they like to drive and go on the turnaround at the end Seaside. Anybody know where that is? People, yeah. Yeah, it, that's where I was at, Okay. And I can't remember what we were learning in school, but two of my friends and I, we decided that we were feeling motivated that we needed to go and evangelize. We needed, we needed to get out there and, you know, put it on the line, right? So I don't remember everything that he, we were walking around trying to find people who we could stop long enough to get their attention and talk to them. I do remember talking to one person, Okay. I talked to them. I, I tried to give them my full attention. I was earnest. And of the three friends, at least in this particular case, I was sort of the point man, if you will. They were kind of my wingmen, right? And, and we tried to connect. It was kind of awkward. I talked for a while. And then, um, you know, we said our goodbyes. And, okay. And I, I, I remember that one. I don't remember a whole lot else that happened, except later that evening... I had a very good friend named Jeff, Jeff Pauls. And Jeff came up to me and he goes like this. He goes, wow, Todd, are you, you were, you, 
you were really into it. I'm like, what is he talking about, you know? And I, I started to replay it in my mind. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no, they got the complete wrong impression. And I realized now, I sort of played the whole scenario in my mind, and I could just picture what it looked like. But what the deal was is it can get kind of breezy. And we were right out near where the beach was, and the wind is blowing in my face, okay? And I'm trying to look this person in the eye. I'm trying to be earnest and not kind of blink and look away, kind of like he was. But I really wasn't conscious of the fact that the wind was causing my eyes to water. So what I realized to my friends, it looked like I was just weeping. I'm just weeping as I'm trying to tell this person about Jesus and why they might need to trust Jesus. And uh, it was awkward for me. I had to say, no, 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 I'm not really that into Jesus. No, that's not what I mean. Well, I mean what I mean is I, the, the wind was in my eyes, okay? Now, here's the thing. I think that was great it was, uh, in terms of, I don't know, maybe, maybe that made a difference in that person's life. But I think that illustration is a little bit of what the author had in mind with this book, Evangelism Without Additives. You see, somewhere along the way, um, maybe because, you know, we've got these Billy Graham crusades and we have these campaigns that we've had at different, at different times, um, evangelism explosion, you know, training seminars where we train people to go door to door, those things are all great. I mean, right? Who's not going to say that what Billy Graham did wasn't great? But, but if we're not careful, we can get the idea that that is what evangelism is. It's a campaign. It's a program. It's something you get educated on, and then you follow this script. And what the author is trying to do for us in this book is see that evangelism is really, first and foremost, supposed to be a normal outworking of normal Christians in their normal everyday life. And I think, actually, that's what Jesus had in mind. It, by the way, what part of Jesus did he spend on evangelism, his Jesus ministry, and what part did he spend on discipleship? The right answer is he did both, right? It was just a natural part of what he did. He did evangelism and discipleship at the same time. While he's evangelizing to large crowds, he's discipling his disciples. All of that is not meant to be a program. It's meant to be a part of our regular life. That doesn't mean we don't engage in street evangelism when it's windy, right? It just means that we need to learn that we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ all the time. And I think when Jesus, in Matthew 28, this is, Matthew kind of records Jesus' final words, right? His final words. Therefore, go and make disciples. Now, making disciples, is that evangelism or is it discipleship? It's both. And in our going, in other words, in your living, as you go about your life, as you go shopping, as you get gas, as you plan for retirement, as you, as you take your kids to school, as you, in everything that you do, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. We get to carry on the ministry of Jesus, evangelism and discipleship in everything that we do. That's what the author's trying to capture. So that we don't think in our mind that somehow, well, next week after I go to the class, then I'll know how to share the gospel. Have you been transformed? Have I been transformed by the gospel? Then we have something to share. Just share what God's done for you.
See, that's the idea. And so as we've gone through this, I just want to quickly review where we've been in this series here. So the first one is losing the lost mentality. You might remember early on because um, the author advocates that we talk about the people that Jesus misses most. When Jesus saw people, he didn't see lost people. Can you imagine how that feels as a person who's not a follower of Christ to be told that you're lost? Right? And, And being aware of the jargon that we use, but not only that, the way that we frame things in our mind has a huge impact, has a huge impact on how we respond when that situation comes up, or in this case, when that person comes up. If they're lost, if my neighbor is lost, you know. You know, I remember when the term loser sort of became vogue. Loser? And it struck me one day. I remember it was like, that is just the worst ever. I mean, if you're a loser, right? I mean, all hope is lost. You might as well give up. Made me think of this poster. I was thinking about having this poster in my office. I don't know if you can see that. It says, mistakes. It could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. Can you imagine if I had as a pastor, I could have that behind my desk. So people keep coming in, oh, you may know, maybe. But you see how the term loss can communicate that kind of an idea? And how we can emotionally respond to people if they're lost. Well, rather, they're, they're people who are missing. They're the people that Jesus is looking for. And when you think about it, whatever category you use, it's true for all of us, isn't it? Even if we were privileged to grow up in a Christian home and get introduced to Christ at a very young age, like I was. You know, I heard about somebody who stood up to give their testimony one time and says, well, I was living deep, dark, sin, decrepit, debauchery. And then at age three, I accepted Christ. (laughs) Right? I mean, if we were lost, then we were all lost. Jesus sees some potential. All hope is not lost. There's missing people that Jesus is still calling, okay? So that was one of the things. So learning new language to talk about people that we believe Jesus is drawing and calling, okay? The other one was counting conversations, not just conversions, right? It's the opportunity, like, how are we opening up spiritual dialogue with people, do you have like some, some sentences, some questions that you have that help sort of engage people? It could, be, it could be actually something that you're very vulnerable. It's like, wow, I worry about my kids. What do you do for your kids in terms of helping them succeed in life? And how do you define that? See, so you're looking for opportunities just to have spiritual conversations and allow people to move along. In our story today that we read, you notice Jesus didn't help that person get across the finish line. I thought he was supposed to be a good evangelist. I don't know. Anyway. So counting conversations. Here's, a, here's one that uh, a family member of mine uses that I love. When people ask him, well, what do you do? He says, well, I'm, I organize jailbreaks. What? See? It's just inviting conversation. If you look at how Jesus, a lot of times he asks questions. He's inviting conversation. He's wanting dialogue to probe people's hearts. Right? So how are we doing at developing our tool chest of questions to invite spiritual conversations? 
Evangelism with our ears, the gift of our attention, was another week where we talked about just being willing to listen. Being willing to demonstrate that we care about the concerns of other people. Doing what's doable. Pastor Ed talked about that last week. He mentioned several things toward the end of his message that can count as evangelism. So you can't go next door and, 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 and share the four spiritual laws. Can you go next door and give some cookies and offer friendship? Can you look for that opportunity to say, hey, can I pray for you? Would that be okay? So looking for those things. And then today, show people Jesus, not religion. Okay? So as we get into the topic, have you noticed... Uh, Actually, I'm sure you have if you've been in church. I mean, we talk about it all the time. But Jesus gave religious people a pretty hard time for some reason. And I don't know if you noticed in those responses from people, when you look behind that, you can almost see that they have a story. Something that they're an um, an unpleasant experience they had with Christians someplace. And and Jesus, when he, when he encountered religious people sometimes, he, he was pointing something out. In fact, I, I have a little diagram, and I picked out four people, okay? So here's four people. Nicodemus, you remember? Nicodemus is John chapter 3. He was the teacher of Israel. He was part of the ruling Sanhedrin, which means he was one of the elite religious leaders of his day. And in John chapter 3, he comes to Jesus. He's very religious. He comes at night. And the young ruler, that's the story we just read, where he, he, he ran up to Jesus, right? And as you read the story, he, he talks about how religious he has been about fulfilling the, the Ten Commandments. So we have the, the rich young ruler. And then we have Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector, I don't know how religious he was, but he certainly wasn't considered religious by his contemporaries, right? He was the one who climbed the tree so he could see Jesus from afar. He just wanted to see who he was. He was curious. And I say well, woman, because it fits in that space. Right? Is that a woman at the well? You recognize it? That's John chapter 4. That's right after Nicodemus, by the way. This is really, really interesting that John put Nicodemus and the woman at the well juxtaposed to one another. But when you see who's religious, well, Nicodemus and the young ruler seem religious. We're not so sure about the tax, tax collector Zacchaeus and the woman at the well. Next, who approached Jesus? I mean, it seems good. They approached. Nicodemus did. He came at night. The young ruler runs up to Jesus. Zacchaeus, he looks from afar up in a tree. Woman at the well, she was surprised that Jesus even approached her and spoke to her. It's like, I'm a woman, you're a Jew, what are you doing talking to me, right? So they approached Jesus. Now, there's good people who approach Jesus, Jesus respond. But here's my point, this final category. Who was transformed? Well, it would be the religious people who approached Jesus, right? No. No. Both Nicodemus and the young ruler sent packing. What is it about religion? that gets in the way of Jesus and maybe gets in the way of our evangelism as well. Nicodemus and the young ruler, hopefully their story goes on, and we know a little bit more about Nicodemus' story. It seems like something was happening there. It was cool. But in the moment, 
Jesus was willing to use a conversation to help somebody get to where they needed to be rather than getting them across the finish line. Just having a conversation with them. All right. So what is it about religious people? I have some observations. See if any of these ring true when you look, think about the statements in that video we watched. People use religion to gain a sense of control and security over themselves and their destiny. People use religion to gain a sense of control. I'm a good person. It's something I can t- control. It's something I can, if I do these things, if I follow these religious practices, then I'm in the good, good category. Jesus is going to address that in, in his conversation with the rich young ruler. Number two, people use religion to make themselves better than others. If, as long as I'm better than half of you, right? God grades on a curve, right? It's roughly, what is it? What is it? Anybody have an idea? What's the, what's the curve? Where, what's, what's the, is it 80, is a B good enough? What I have noticed, see, this is part of human nature. It's, it's, it's part of human nature. What I've noticed is people, what they do is something like this. You know, you have a spiritual conversation with them and it's like, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good person. And what they're saying is, you know, I look around and I don't do that bad thing. I don't do that bad thing. And I think I'm probably better than most people. I'm not sure exactly where the line is, but I'm a pretty good person. And the reality is people have a hard time, and this is true of all of us, by the way, but we have a hard time living up to our own moral convictions, don't we? We have a hard time living up to our own moral convictions. So if I'm somebody who doesn't follow Christ, and I have a sense that there's these moral convictions I have to have as a Christian, there's there's these rules I have to follow. There's certain things I got to do. I got to like, uh, don't, don't s- smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls that do, right? Something like that. <laughs> but here's the thing. I'm already having trouble with my own moral conviction. If you bring Christianity to me and you raise the bar, how in the world am I going to get over that? Don't push that on me. See? Don't push that on me. People use religion to make themselves better than others. People use religion to control others. It's kind of related to that. Religion has been used to control people for as long as there's been human history or since the fall. So Jesus was very quick Let's look at our passage here in Mark 10, if you've got a Bible or something. We look at that. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. This is Mark 10, verse 17. As Jesus has started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. It says, good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, just for a moment, because... I think that there's so many things in Scripture to the first century 
Jew or Christian would be like, oh my goodness, right? I mean, as you look at the, the story of Jesus and what he did in life, how often did you have somebody run up to him, get on their knees and say, what must I do to be saved? I mean, I mean I, that's, like, that's like somebody slow-pitching to Babe Ruth. You think he's going to hit it out of the park? Right? You know, you know what Jesus should have done? He said, you know what, this one's, this one's easy. I mean, look at this. Thomas, yeah, you, doubting Thomas, come over here, talk to this guy, right? I mean, this will be simple. I mean, on his knees, I mean, earnestness. There's nothing in the text that suggests this guy is not genuinely earnest. Genuinely earnest. He falls on his knees. And apparently Jesus isn't very good at evangelism. But the first thing he does, this is an interesting thing he says, right? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. Now, in Sunday school, when we're little kids, and somebody asks, who is the one man who did everything right and is completely good? What's the answer? Right? So why? Why does he say this? Well, I want to suggest a reason why. And I don't know if Jesus had divine insight into what was happening or what he's doing. He's always looking for opportunity to engage people in spiritual dialogue. And actually what scholars say is the man, he does come up and jump on his knees. But the fact that he said good teacher, I mean, Jesus was called rabbi at different times. But to be called good rabbi, it, it seems to indicate that this guy already has this sort of hierarchy this he's already got it in mind like like maybe he's a pretty good person but jesus is he's like a man who's who's somehow a little bit above him right and then there's mediocre people maybe like you and me i don't know and then there's bad people he's got some kind of hierarchy and just like a lot of us sometimes but certainly people everywhere He's got insecurity. Even though he's a good person, right? There's insecurity. Am I doing enough? Am I doing it right? So here's somebody who's a good teacher. I mean, maybe he's a little bit above. And Jesus, right from the get-go, he wants to dispel that. Why are you calling me good? What's, your, why, what's, what's the game you're playing here? So it may have been his disciples and what I would have said, oh my goodness, why does Jesus rebuke him like that? Why do you call me good? There's nobody good. Now, as the, as, the, as, the circle, as the story comes full circle, it's interesting that Jesus says, come follow me. What does that tell you about who he is? But he's going to dispel this whole religious hierarchy that somehow, based on our personal merit, right, we can, we can climb up the ladder a little bit. So Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So then Jesus says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I'm a small boy. So what's interesting about this? Jesus just skipped over the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments. Why did he do that? I'm not sure. I'm just wondering, why, why did he go to those? Maybe he knew where the conversation was going. 
Maybe he knew where this guy was coming from. He's going to be able to check off the boxes, right? He's going to be able to check the boxes. I've done this, I've done that, I've done this, and I look around, I'm doing it better than anybody else. So Jesus runs those, you know the commandments, and he's, teacher, I have done these all. And then it says, Jesus looked at, at him and loved him. I would love to see what that was. Whatever it was that John Mark or Peter saw in the look of Jesus, isn't that good to know that when we get messed up in our theology, Jesus wants to help us take the next step. He looks at us with love. There's something about the countenance of Jesus that says, I care about you, even though you're really screwed up. So Jesus says, well, one thing you lack. One thing. Can you imagine? He's here, okay, one more thing. I've got this whole list of boxes I'm checking off. Check, 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 check. One more. I bet it's going to be something like take all the idols out of your house, right? Because that's one of the other Ten Commandments. I got that one. I'm going to say, yes, I got that one. Maybe he's going to say, don't use the Lord's name in vain. That's one of the other ones. I got that one. Or maybe he's going to point to something in the Old Testament about tithing. Guess what? I don't tithe 10%. I tithe 10.25%. Right? Over and above. Yes, we're supposed to laugh at that because it's not that much. Anyway, right? I mean, he's looking. It's just one thing. Just one thing. I got this. But see, Jesus knows where his heart is, and he knows that one thing he needs. He needs to know the God who loves him, and he needs to surrender wholly to that God rather than depend on his ability to perform. So what does he say? Just this one little thing. Go sell everything you have. Go. One thing. Go. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. By the way, you'll store up treasure in heaven, which is what you want, and then come follow me. Can you see, like, one thing? He's excited, and it says, I love this line here. I just, it's like, I'd like, want to see it. I want to see this, like, in replay someday. And when, when we go to heaven, we get to see, like, the movie of history. I want to see this, because it says, At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad, because he had great wealth. Just one thing. You can't have any idols before me. People, people who are looking for religion either already have religion or they're looking for a way to measure that they're a good person rather than turning to the person who's good and surrendering their heart. In subtle, subtle ways, we can give people religion rather than, and maybe impress them with our religiosity rather than give them a taste of Jesus. One of the great ways I think that we can give people a taste of Jesus is just being vulnerable. Saying, I struggle with that. I I don't feel like I'm measuring up but 
thankfully, I, I just looked to Jesus. People aren't, Jesus isn't impressed with our goodness, and other people aren't either. I mean, if they are, they're looking for religion. They're looking for a way that they can elevate themselves or put you on a pedestal, right? God in heaven is impressed with his son. That's who he's impressed with. And what's great is I yield my heart. I get his righteousness because I can't earn it. I just can't. I can't ever do it good enough. I can follow Jesus religiously in a sense of really working to yield my heart and my life and fashion my life after him. But that's never going to be a series of boxes. Any religious activity that's not fueled by the Holy Spirit's work is religion. It's not Christianity. Does that make sense? What God wants to do, and even in our evangelism, is we want to be filled with the Spirit of God, yielding our hearts, being vulnerable. So, uh, my wife Wendy had a story that happened to her a couple years ago. And uh, I think it's a great illustration of this whole thing, so I asked her if she would share it. Hi. Okay, so um, to get my geology degree, I had to complete a class that is called um, Geology Field Camp. And it's kind of uh, supposed to be one of the last classes you take, and it's supposed to be a synthesis of everything you learn um, in your coursework, and then you take it out into the real world and put it into practice. And so it's kind of a road trip. It's uh, like a five-week class, and you travel to different sites around Alaska for the first three weeks and um, do what you know, professional geologists do in their real jobs. So we um, kind of teamed up for carpooling and for tenting, and I um, teamed up with another gal that was in my cohort who was also an older student, partly because I kind of wanted to make that connection with her and partly because I thought maybe we would be living at a different pace than the kids and go to bed earlier. So, And that actually worked out, and... and, um, so, and her name was Bev, and, and um, we would often be the first ones up in the morning, and like probably, you know, quite a few of you, I kind of have my little routine where I have to have my first cup of coffee, it's got to be silent, and um, I've got to be able to, you know, spend some time with the Lord, read my Bible, and, and stuff, so she, you know, just was routinely catching me, kind of trying to have my alone time, and, you know, the kids had no idea because they were still sleeping it off, but she and I were up early, so about... Like a week into camp, she finally said, okay, that's it. i got to ask you about this, and I'll try and condense the conversation that we had, but she wanted to know what I was doing, and so, you know, I described my faith a bit to her, and, and um, she said, you know what? I'm going to go to church with you. When we get back, I'm going to church with you. I, f- I feel like I'm ready to make some changes, you know, and she had shared some things with me just in the course of driving together and stuff that, you know, there were some areas in her life that were causing her a lot of shame, and and um, that were, you know, enslaving her. And, and so she's like, yep, I'm ready to make these changes. I'm coming to church with you. And so then she, you know, asked me about our church. And I, you know, tried to describe it fairly accurately. I said, well, it's just a bunch of really, really nice people who are super good looking. No. Anyway, but, um, 
turns out what she, what she ended up asking me, well, what she said was, I just don't want people telling me I'm a sinner. So what should I have said? <laughs> no, nobody's going to call you a sinner here, right? Nobody's going to stand here and call you a sinner. I didn't. Um, what I said was, Bev, Jesus himself said, it's not the healthy, but the sick who need a doctor. And this is a church full of sick people. And if you come here, I hope what your heart hears is, hey, sinner, welcome. We got room for one more, always. Um, and that was kind of the end of the conversation. And I went away, you know, kind of second guessing, partly because I had not heard this sermon. <laughs> so, um, you know, but I, um, you know, partly because it's like, wow, I just really screwed that one up. I, I had an opportunity to, you know, get somebody across the finish line, as, you know, Tyler was saying, and I, I kind of sent her away. And um, so fast forward a couple more weeks, and um, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about field camp. It's also designed to let people who kind of maybe didn't realize this before that if you're going to study geology, well, where rocks are is outside, and that's also where, you know, it's raining. There's, you know, it was, you know, it, where it can be pretty miserable, right? And you are on a time constraint and um, supposed to be working under very adverse conditions. So it was like taking a condensed, advanced science course outside in the rain. And so we were working really long hours, cold all the time, sleeping on the ground. You know, you're getting the idea. So the very end of this class, there is a final, and it's um, where they just take you to an outcrop, and then and, and you have to, you have the day, you have like, I don't know, seven or eight hours, and you have to map it, interpret it, and then be able to write a report. And so it's, I mean, I was very nervous. I think most of us were. This is kind of like the class, you don't get out of there without a very good grade in that class. And, you know, so you can imagine. And then also, we've been out in the field for weeks. I was really homesick. I missed Tyler and the kids. Um, you know, I was just exhausted. We were camping in, like, a mosquito farm up in... Uh, we were up near Glen Allen. It was horrible. And um, the other thing that was hard for me was that um, Bev, my tent mate, and I, I mean, I just had a hard time getting along with her. Just the way she dealt with stress was hard for me to live with. And um, so the morning of the final, we get up. It's so cold. My computer won't work. My phone won't work. The mosquitoes, shockingly, even though it's cold, are doing fine. And, um, you know, you, you can imagine, right? I'm nervous. And then Bev gets up and just starts banging around the camp, slamming things around, spilling the coffee, swearing constantly. And I, I was just trying to have my time with the Lord, and it was kind of going like this. I don't know if you guys have ever had this morning. It was like, Lord? You know, that was basically the extent of my prayer life that morning. And, and um, so Bev finally sits down um, with me, and she says, Okay, Wendy, how are you doing this? How are you doing? And I'm like, what are you talking about? In my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, I was just having a little fantasy about hitting you in the face. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> and everything. But she said, I, I'm, I'm done. I can't go on. I can't, I know this is the last day. I can't do it. And I'm ready to just get in the car and just go home and everything. And, and um, she said, I, I don't know how you are so strong. And sorry, I'm a weeper. But um, I started crying. And I said, Bev, I'm not. I was just here just um, crying and 
calling out to God, you know, because I'm not making it either. And so she started crying, and I cried more. And I said, Bev, would you like to pray? And she couldn't even talk. She just nodded. And so we sat down and put our arms around each other and just bawled our eyes out and prayed. And we cried out to Jesus, probably for the first time in her life. And we both just said, we need you. You know, I mean, I think that's maybe God's favorite prayer. And it was just actually kind of a beautiful time together. And um, so the story kind of has a fun ending because the final was, um, it was as tough as we had imagined it would be. And there's like 10 students and, and we've got the day on this outcrop and it's a, it's a feature. I won't try to explain it to you except to say that it looked exactly like what we've seen in every textbook of a certain geologic process. Like, you're supposed to recognize it, and as soon as you see it, you're like, bam, I know what that is, and, you know, start drawing and mapping and, you know, taking your, you know, measurements and everything, and there, but there was one thing wrong, and it was exactly opposite of what it was supposed to be, just this one tiny feature, and, um, I mean, I puzzled over that for half the day and just prayed, and the Lord gave me the answer. I know it was the Lord, because none of the other students got it, and I, um, and um, they were, everybody was, we were allowed to talk, and everybody was just denying that one, just trying to ignore that one little feature and everything. But when I got back with Bev that evening in the campground, because she had gone and, and worked on her assignment in her truck where the mosquitoes couldn't get her, which I get. But, um, you know, we, did you, you know, we kind of whispered to each other, did you get it? And, she's, and she said it was the exact same thing I said. And, and it was so fun because everybody was just so confused, and she and I were like high-fiving, and we, we sat down that night and wrote out our reports and did our drawings together and built a big bonfire and invited all the other students over, and she and I were just able to really celebrate, and, you know, she said, this is a miracle, what happened here today, and she got that little taste of also the miracle of getting an A on the final, <laughs> so anyway, and, but um, I just... I just think that, like, the thing about that second conversation was where the Lord met me was when I was desperate, and that was where the Lord met her, and he didn't use me, like, having my act together or, you know, knowing any great answers. Just all I could do was cry, and that was, that was, like, Jesus. So, anyway. Okay. Bev, come on up. Cruel joke, Bev's not here, okay? <laughs> the thing I want to point out, though, about Bev, she's probably not the one that wrote some of those answers in that video. She had a very positive experience of encountering the Lord because somebody was willing to take her there and not just take her to church. Does that make sense? So I want to close with just a couple quick questions. Uh... I think I got the remote here in my pocket. I think this is my last slide, I hope. Evangelism without additives. Are we checking off the Christian boxes that should be revealed or that reveals our goodness or are we authentically following Jesus in a way that reveals his love and grace? That's really the point. Are we checking off the Christian boxes that reveals our own goodness? Or are we authentically following Jesus in a way that reveals his love and his grace? As the worship team comes, let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity that we have to continue to share the good news of your love and your grace. You're the one, Lord, that takes us when our theology is messed up, when we make big mistakes in all earnestness, and yet you lovingly look at us and tell us what we need to hear, Lord, so that we can discover the joy, the peace that comes from surrendering our hearts to you. Lord, I pray that we would live authentically into that. And so we can show others what that looks like. Invite others to participate in that as well. Discover the beauty that is your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.